Goodness gracious. Did you grow up hearing that phrase? How many of you heard that phrase growing up? Thank you. I feel at home. I feel at home. I, whenever I would hear, I, there was a Sunday school teacher I had when I was little. That whenever some of the, one child was acting up, she would go, Goodness gracious, child. Goodness gracious. Get a hold of yourself. Ever heard it said like that before? <laughs> Those of you with the southern accent, yes, yes, yes. You know, I grew up with hearing that phrase, and it often, depending on the tone of it, would tell you what the moment was. Goodness gracious, it could be like a surprise, or thank you, or an overwhelming gift has just been received. Other times, I, it's like, shame on you, boy, goodness gracious, God Almighty, hopefully he helps you. It was a whole litany of things that could be said after that statement. And then along the way, like, you know, again, our language, you know, if you're a church-going person, you would say, instead of other things that the world might say, you might say, my goodness, right? So that term goodness takes on meaning. And think about it. If you were from another country and you studied the English language, you come over here and you know the term goodness for what it means and you know what my means, and somebody says, my goodness, and they're shaking their head, how would you interpret that? Think about it, right? Be strange. Why are you saying my goodness? What am I supposed to notice about your goodness? What am I to take notice of? Are you declaring yourself as good? And, and so, again, it's a very strange thing how the English language evolves with time and taking certain terms and giving it kind of new meaning. Well, as we go through the sermon, on, uh, this sermon series uh, out of the fruit of the Spirit, terms like patience, kindness, goodness uh, come out of different meanings based on the English language, but there's clarity as to what is intended by the writers of the text. And so today, we are going to take a little bit of a, a deeper dive into the term goodness that's found in Scripture to understand better when it says that we are to see and check ourselves to see if the evidence of God's work in us can be seen by the fruit of the Spirit working in us, and goodness being one of those things. So we're going to go into the text today from in 2 Peter chapter 1. It will be the primary text. Secondary text will be Galatians chapter 5. We will be in both, so, but we will begin in 2 Peter 1, and then we'll briefly go to Galatians 5, and then come back to 2 Peter 1. So you can look up both in this moment. So let's talk about this understanding of goodness. So we understand, first of all, that we're, we're doing a series called Recalibrate because it's birthed out of our observation, if you will, of the greater church, not just LEC, but the greater church, that right now, what is the fruit of our words, the fruit of our actions, would not reflect what I would say would be the fruit of God's work in us. In fact, if we were to compare what's found in Galatians 5, there's, there's a part of the text where it says, these things are the fruit of the Spirit, and then these things are the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the flesh were things like dissension, discord, mockery, and 
and jealousy and rage. Those are the things that I would say the world would more than likely say that's what we notice more often about people who claim to be part of the church. And if you were to ask the world, what about this list of things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would they say, yes, that embodies the evidences of the people we know that go to church or claim to be followers of Christ. Would they, they would say, that's the fruit that I see. Likely not. In fact, right now, fair or unfair, the judgment of the church is that that's not our attributes, which would suggest then that the church isn't operating by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but rather the leadership of their own flesh. Sometimes we can spiritualize our actions and justify it based on the fact that we're speaking into something we see is wrong, but we forsake the spirit by which we say it. We forsake the motive by which we are to speak it. You see, if it's birthed out of the spirit, things will look much differently when we say the exact same set of words. Tone means everything. As goodness gracious can mean one thing if said in a particular tone, it can mean something completely different if spoken with a different tone. So also our words spoken publicly, if lacking the spirit in motive and in tone, it will not be received as we intend. And it will not be attributed to God. So, in talking about one of those fruit of the Spirit, which again are the evidences that, that someone is walking by the Spirit of God, then these fruit will show up in their life and, as something that is growing more and more present in them. So it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When we speak those things, it's not a list of checking boxes that we are to do, but rather it's a way to be self-reflective, to see, are we truly living by the Spirit, or is it more our flesh that we live by? Now, we're speaking today specifically about goodness. And, and so, again, that's not a term that we attribute usually to people. But if we do, it's usually pretty lofty. When we say that person is filled with goodness, that's usually saying there's a lot of evidence about their character that's been on display by their actions towards other people. So if you were to try to think, who rises to the level that we would give them the title of they're filled with goodness? As I looked over my lifetime and tried to think, who rises to that level? I came up with one person that, uh, there were others I came up with, but trying to come up with someone that everybody would know. At least those that were my age and older. And the name I came up with was Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa served in India among some of the most impoverished in the world. And she was known for doing so much to advocate for them and meeting their needs. And did so for years. 
She was offered many opportunities to go to places of the world, but instead she would offer and invite people to come to her. She stayed the course for her lifetime. Now, my question as I consider somebody like her that was just filled with goodness and that was on display, is it when we say she was somebody who was filled with goodness, are we thinking of her moral character in the moment, or are we more mindful of the evidences of that goodness? Most of us would think through, if we know anything about her life, we would remember some of the pictures of her going and meeting these people that were in very impoverished situations. It's more the actions of her that we ascribe to her goodness. Of course, they reflect a character built within her that was deep. But it was her actions that we would say, we know that she was filled with goodness. You see, when we talk about this understanding of gentleness, kindness, patience, faithfulness, and yes, something like goodness, we are describing somebody's actions that we can see that is rooted from deep within. So this term goodness is actually a collective term. It's a collective term that first notices the generous actions of someone, and then ascribes to them, because of those generous, generous actions, ascribes to them as being good, that their character is good. So in Scripture, you're going to see that goodness is then the evidence of the Spirit's power and transforming work. So when you hear that term, it is referred to in Scripture as the evidence of the Spirit's power and the transforming and transformed work in a person's life. In other words, it's both how you act and who you are. It's how you act and who you are. If somebody is good to the point where we say goodness abounds in them, it's how they act, but it's also who they are. This term goodness comes from two different Greek words. Now in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, when goodness is mentioned, it is coming from a Greek term, agathosune. Now that term is referring to an implicit action, a, a, an action that has gone out. It's imparted. You can see it. In fact, it's probably better understood as being generous. Or filled with generosity. So when somebody is being ascribed as having the evidence of the Spirit of God in them. Where a goodness can be an attribute of that person. We were saying. We'd be saying. They are generous towards other people. The challenge of the term generous or generosity is we tend to think of money. And that's not what I'm speaking to here. Nor is that the Greek term referring to here, but rather it's a generosity of giving of oneself to another in good action, with good intent to be of good help to another. So when we read this agathosune term in Galatians, it's saying that somebody who is walking by the Spirit is generous towards another human being in of their good actions or their virtuous actions. But the other term, 
of, that's translated as goodness is arete. Arete is found in 2 Peter 1 where we're going to be today. And this term has a, a kind of a dualistic meaning as well. That it refers to, yes, at times, generous actions were an impartation of goodness towards another person. But other times it's referring to the deep quality of their character as being good. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, you'll find that in verse 3, it's being used as a description of action towards another. And it's speaking of God in this case, that his goodness, which is being imparted to others, is on display. But in verse 5, you're going to see where this term erete, or goodness, is a descriptor of character. Out of the birth or depth of one's being. So... As we go into this, you're going to see, depending, because I'll be reading out of NIV. Some of you will be reading out of ESV. You're going to see the term virtue. You're going to also, if you're reading out of NASB, you're going to see the term moral excellence. What all this is saying is, is that the English part of trying to translate this term, arete or agathosune, it, it struggles to bear weight to understand more deeply what it means. So, as we read, where well, we begin in verse 3, you're going to hear arete that's referring more to the action towards another, which would be more better translated as generous, but in the term of generosity of acting good or being giving of grace towards another. And then when we get to verse 5, you should understand it as either moral excellence or, or that virtuous character, or yes, even that character that is born with goodness. So let's begin by reading in verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1. It says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in his or in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So let me begin with this. Verse 3 says, It is by the power of the Spirit that we are given the ability to live a godly life. Okay, so it's by the power of the Spirit. Where do I get that? It says, by His divine power, He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Well, where does His power come from? How does... By his divine power, are we given everything we need to live a godly life? Well, it's by his spirit. So, by the power of the spirit, we are given the ability to live a godly life. In other words, godly life or a life that looks like God, behaves like God, acts like God, thinks like God, because that person's life is sourced by God and empowered by God through His Spirit. So as a person walks by the Spirit, they begin to look and behave as God looks and behaves. 
Now, how do I know that to be true? Because if God were to put on human skin and show us what life looks like as he would intend it, all you have to do is read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and watch the life of Jesus, and you'll see God on display. For Jesus lived the life that was intended for us from the beginning. And he, in step with the Spirit, lived a godly life as one with God, part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He knew nothing but being in complete unison with his Father. And so as we study the life of Christ, you will see the fruit of God's life in his heart on display. And I will suggest that when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you see Jesus. You see Jesus. Because literally, these are the descriptors of God. And so somebody who's walking by the empowerment of God is going to look like God. And so you would say, that person is showing love at a level that I've not seen before. That person is showing gentleness that is beyond that which is human. That person is showing self-control that clearly is being sourced and helped by someone else. And the like. Love, joy, peace, patience. Going forward. All of those are fruit of the Spirit, which are therefore the distinguishing character traits of God. So when one lives out as God would live, or living a godly life, they will begin to show those evidences. And so what Peter brings out here is that God is the one who gives us the power to live a divinely, godly-oriented life. In other words, looking like Jesus. It can only come by the power of the Spirit. And as a result of that, that empowerment to us is done through His glory and His goodness. His glory and His goodness. So when you look at verse 4, and it talks about, For through these things, these things being His glory and His goodness, He gives us then the opportunity, or I should say, invites us to participate in the opportunity to experience His divine nature. That may be one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. That through His glory and goodness, His generosity, His desire to impart something great to us, He invites us to experience and participate in His divine nature. Think about that. The nature of God, which seems so lofty compared to us, God says, come, participate in it with me. I want you to experience my presence. Therefore, my life-changing presence. Therefore, you're going to start to look different. Where people begin to say, that person's living a godly life. A life that looks like God. And that is all happening because of the empowerment of the Spirit and because God's glory is on display and wants to show His glory and His goodness, His generosity knows no end. He imparts it willingly and He invites us then to participate there. 
which to me is mind-blowing because I'm thinking, why would God want to take people like us who are so quick to despise him at moments and in other moments praise him, and he says, I want you to participate with me in my nature. I want us to turn now back to Galatians. Don't lose 2 Peter 1, but go back to Galatians chapter 5. What you're going to find is that Peter and Paul are writing a similar constructed line of thinking based on the Holy Spirit and the need to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit as juxtaposed to the nature of our flesh. You'll see it in Peter's writings when we get further into it. And I'm going to remind us of what we read a few weeks ago in Galatians chapter 5. Now, the context of when Paul wrote Galatians 5 is people were taking this empowerment of experiencing the divine nature of God and and the new freedom that comes with it. Because keep in mind, he says, if you live by the fruit of the Spirit, where the evidence or you live by the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will begin to be evident. And there's no law against that. There's no law against that. And so as a result, people somehow in their mind began to use it as a license to live how they wanted to live, to just be free, to do whatever they wanted. And that's not the intent of the freedom that God's giving us. He says in verse 16 of chapter 5, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he's comparing the two natures. The nature of the flesh does what? Whatever it wants to the person's own desires and well-being and even to their own glory, and it's not very considerate of other. Fruit of the Spirit. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, each aspect of the fruits that are listed there speak to something that is in regard to other. Kindness towards other. Generous or goodness towards other. Patience of other. But the fruit of the flesh which is found in verse 19 and 20 through 21. It says, but the acts of the flesh are obvious. Do whatever you want sexually. Impurity, doesn't matter. Debauchery, idolatry, setting anything up higher and greater than God. Witchcraft, selfish ambition, dissension. It's getting really personal now. Factions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this are not the ones who inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. And then he gives the fruit of the Spirit once again. So you have here Paul speaking to a church that is using its new freedom found in Christ as a license to do whatever they want. So what they've done is they escaped 
all that had embondaged them, all the sins that had created issues for them, and they've returned to it. And he's saying, listen, if you are aligned with the Spirit of God, you're going to forsake and give up the things that are related to your flesh. But if you're going to embrace that of the flesh, the fruit of your life is going to be conflicting. And it's going to create destructive relationships. It's where the evidences really show up. Is when all of a sudden, everybody's withdrawing from you because of your spirit. Versus leaning in because of your spirit. But if we live by the spirit, the spirit of God, his divine nature begins to infiltrate our nature and transform it and make us a totally different creature. And then our evidences begin to look like God. And therefore, a godly person begins to take shape and is then seen. Peter brings this out very well. So I want us to go back to 2 Peter. Now, if you know anything about Peter's writings versus Paul's writings, they almost switch roles in these two texts today. Paul is usually the academic and Peter's usually the emotive one. When you go to Galatians 5, quite frankly, Paul is ranting because he is so frustrated by people choosing to live by the flesh and using their newfound faith as a license to do whatever they want. So he is emotive in his writing. And Peter, in 2 Peter 1, is writing something not as an intervention thing, but a preventative approach. And he's more academic. The fisherman has really grown up here. And so when you look at this, he says in verse 3 again, by the power of God, the divine power, he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. All right, we get that. But then this incredible invitation that's saying, and by that divine empowerment, by his spirit, we're invited to participate in the very nature of God. Now that nature then is put on display in the next few verses. So let's look at verse 5. For this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, arete. In this case, now it's referring to the qualitative character description of a person who's walking by that divine empowerment. Okay, so make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and then to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. So, by the Spirit's power, our nature will mature to being more and more like Him. Or mature us into more and more of His likeness. And so, you have in this text, faith is the beginning. By faith, we trust in the work of the cross. That Jesus' death and resurrection is, serves as the bridge of reconciling us back to the Father God. By faith we accept that, but then a, a, a giving of the Holy Spirit is given to someone whose faith is birthed, and the work of the Spirit begins to do his work of transformation. And when you look at what Peter has done here, he's speaking a very descriptive progression of a person who's maturing in character. So let's look at it. 
So to faith, goodness, okay? So it's, it's getting into this character where, again, virtue, moral excellence are beginning to rise up as the Spirit begins to work on the inner being of a person. And then to that goodness, knowledge, which is really talking about the understanding then of what God is doing and who He is. So from that goodness, as we begin to have our character change, we understand God better. And then to that understanding, His work of controlling us, we begin to submit to the work of the Spirit. And so self-control is becoming more evident in us. And then to that self-control, we're getting stronger. We're persevering in our faith, and we're not as prone to the things of the past of our former heirs. And as perseverance grows, we're becoming more and more like him. Our godliness is more obvious and evident to others. And then our motives are begin to being affected where mutual affection and love is the core of our being. And when we love that which God loves, then our love for each other will grow. Because that's what God loves. God so loved us that he did all of this through Jesus Christ. It was that he loved us so much. And so as we fall in love with him, then what he loves, we love. So we love him, and therefore we love each other. Mutual affection grows, and love becomes the core essence of our being. This is the work of where our nature, which used to be submissive to the flesh, now under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is participating in the nature of God. And as the nature of God is becoming synonymous with our nature, that we begin to look like Him, that godliness is now becoming evident, then the ability by this work of the Spirit in us to affect another is on display. Hence, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control become evidences of God's work in us because our character has been transformed and therefore that transformation is on display through the works of the Spirit in us and others' lives are, be, are being affected by it. But there's a warning just in the same way that Paul cautions uh, his readers for not using their freedom as a license to do whatever they want, Peter too speaks to when someone's character is not changing, there's something causing that. It's in the same way that we discover we're not well when symptoms begin to show up in our lives that might point to our hearts, might be having issues where there's clogged valves or there's something that's not firing right or where we're beginning to see evidences in our, where our nerves aren't firing right in our hands and we see the evidences. It points to something's not right. So Peter, in, in response to these qualities he's just listed, where Faith leads to goodness and goodness to knowledge and knowledge to self-control, self-control to perseverance, perseverance to godliness, godliness to mutual affection, and mutual affection to love. Then Peter says this, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in what? In your understanding or in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which basically means this. If these qualities 
that are just listed here, which are the fruit of God's work in you, of working alongside and under the leadership of the Spirit, if these are increasing in you, you will grow in your understanding of God and you'll become a powerful tool in his hand, period. Now, why am I able to say that? Because it says you will, if these things are increasing in you, it will help you from, it'll keep you from being, what? Ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge or understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. What it's saying is, is that somebody who understands God's heart on the matters of life and are growing in that understanding are going to be people that are completely aware of what God is doing around them and what God is doing in them. And then as a result, they can be productive and, and be a productive tool in his hand. People that are aware of the Spirit's work in them and the Spirit's work around them are people God are using to change lives. And that's the purpose of continuing forward what God is doing on this earth. If it wasn't for people living out their faith in their life, how would you or I be sitting here today? We're all here on the backs and shoulders of those who God worked on by his spirit in their lives to change their lives and then as a result cause them to behave differently and therefore glorify God in heaven. And we can see that glory and realize we need his glory. But there's another warning. If it's also true that if these things are growing in you, then you will become more understanding of him and a powerful tool in his hand. But it's also the opposite is true. Verse 9, but whoever does not have them and is near, in other words, in increasing measure, but whoever does not have these qualities is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Which basically means this. If you see these qualities are decreasing in you or stalling in you, you will struggle to see what lies ahead. And you will be become blind to the state of your own heart. That is alarming to me. Because it's saying that if there aren't evidences that the Holy Spirit's working in you, and you're shouting it down, and those things aren't increasing to you, then you're living by, the, by your own flesh. And when you're living by the flesh, you become blind to your own heart. And then people begin to start saying, I don't know that God's working at all around me. I don't see God at work at all today. When somebody says that, it's a sign to me that they haven't been walking in step with God. And they're blinded by their own pursuits. So we must take caution and do a self-evaluation are these traits, are the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in my life? Are these traits that Peter speaks to, they're basically reflective of the fruit of the Spirit. Are they increasing in you or are they stalling in you? Are they increasing in you or are they actually decreasing and going backwards? If that is the case, then I would say, without a doubt, the fruit of the flesh is at play inside of you. And you've decided that the nature of the flesh is what you yield to. We can all be found guilty, which is why Paul speaks what he speaks and why Peter warns what he warns. 
Those of us that have experienced the life-changing work of God can fall prey to coming back into our old nature. But God invites us out of that. He wants us to experience what it means to experience his nature, and as a result, others benefit because of the goodness of God working inside of us and creating the goodness of his Spirit's work from us to another. Let's pray. Father God, it is alarming to me that there are seasons of my life where I look at such a text and I would say, I fail. Sometimes it's a single day, sometimes it's seasons, sometimes it's long seasons. But what both Peter and Paul, under the leadership of your spirit, wrote is that we were rescued from our flesh. We were rescued from all that causes harm in our relationships with others. And we were invited into that which will restore relationships, first with you, but then with others. And Lord, somewhere along the line, we begin to slip into this idea that the fruit of the flesh is worth it to forsake the leadership of your spirit. And that slippage leads us to dark places. So God, I just pray that as we look at your glory, your goodness, and then not only the goodness of your character, but the generosity of your character to invite us in to participate in your godliness, that we can celebrate you and then yield once again to the Spirit working in our lives. So I pray to that end, Lord, work on our hearts as we even sing these words about your character, that you will cause us to long to walk by your Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing as we speak to the goodness of God as an invitation to our own soul? Be the fire inside my 
refreshing that we can say that with absolute confidence that God is good all the time God is good and when we get invited to participate with him in his nature his church can then be known as good and in a society right now and many of us have been praying for a lot of things that are troubling about society I mean Many of you were praying on Tuesday night for the school boards uh, that was meeting in Hempfield. And we're praying that God would somehow uh, create reconciliation with an under, where there's a, a, a divide of understanding of God's intent of life. We're praying. But we should all be praying and behaving, not only with the right words, but with the right spirit and the right motive. We cannot divorce that because God does not. God never behaves with his justice at the cost of his love or his kindness or his goodness or his gentleness. Yes, God completely always operates by his character, never separating. And he can invite us into that same experience where we can behave the same way. Not because we can and are able on our own. No, quite the contrary. We can't. That seems impossible but because of his divine empowerment and by the leadership of the Spirit, we can behave in such a manner that is healing to society. So as we go out of this room, 
The invitation is not to go be good. The invitation is we need to walk by the power of God, not by the power of our flesh. God's goodness was on display when he chose to send his son Jesus to live, die and, and resurrect on that fateful weekend. And we are the beneficiaries by faith of that act and by his spirit that is given to us by, when we operate in faith, we get the benefit then of the, the power we need to do this, to live this life. But if you came in here without that faith, what we've just talked about today is an impossibility. You need God's help. And God's help comes through the work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If you'd like to pray with someone, we'll have people in the encounter room, which is to my left and on the way out, and they'd be glad to pray with you. But you can take time to pray with somebody that brought you here this morning if you need to. We just want to make sure that you go to God. Because I'm not a perfect man. I'm not the source of what you, We didn't sing, oh, pastor, you are good. And there was some laughter real quick behind me. No, we saying that Jesus is good. And Jesus is changing all of us. Amen. Go in the power of his spirit into his glory. You're dismissed.